What's up, everyone? Welcome to Anime Ichiban, Goomba Stomp's dedicated anime podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pontier. As always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Harry Morris and Kyle Rogashon. Hello. Yes, lovely. Yes, hi, guys. I had <laughs> a time opening up a packet of roast beef just before this while I was making lunch. Like, it took me maybe two or three minutes to open up. Have you ever had a time? problem opening up like a jar or something and you just get yeah, frustrated package. at it why didn't you just like did you just solve it because by it was a supposedly a resealable package i didn't oh, want to like mess with okay. that yeah supposedly yes i've always been all right i follow the tried and true method of bang a jar on the side and it, it gets better uh <laughs> regarding packages i cut into it with scissors i guess i get my taller okay. friend michael because he has big hands <laughs> oh I'm sure he big can use the stands for, for many things, yes. For his big willy. Yes. <laughs> anyway. That's my other and There thing, is our... <laughs> Alrighty, so with that out of the way, Kyle, how have you been doing lately? I've been good. Uh, well, I, well, as good as you kind of can be. Um, we are, I think, what is this, three months now into lockdown? Uh, started in March, yeah, so three months. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping in there. Uh, I have been very happy ever since, uh, last Saturday when Persona 4 Golden got a stealth drop on Steam. So, uh, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what's been taking up my time, uh, mostly. But going through the game, uh, it just makes me want to finish, uh, watching Fruits Basket. Because I can't (laughs) not, like... So when I first played Persona, right, like, I I hadn't watched Fruits Basket, but now I'm hearing it. In and I just can't not hear Laura Bailey's Toru. Oh yeah, as a, yeah, because she's Risei. Re, yeah. Re, Risei, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't, never thought about that. Yeah, I played Persona before watching. Well, I guess I did watch the original Fruits Basket way back when, but it, I'd completely forgotten about it by the time I got around to Persona. So that's true. That would mess me up. Yeah, because she has a very distinct voice, and it's like, oh yeah, I know exactly who that is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, it's fun. And how far into Fruits Basket did you get again? I got like two thirds of the way in. Uh, so I like for the first lost, season. Lost, right? yeah, first season. I lost mm-hmm. Steamer in episode 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's not that like it lost my interest. It's just that I just didn't. I have a very bad habit of like not finishing things I start. So Fruits Basket <laughs> is definitely uh back there on the list. Especially well, they haven't gotten the dub for the second season yet, right? Because the- Right, exactly. That's why my friend and I haven't started watching the second season. Mm. Uh, because yeah, the the normal yeah, the Japanese broadcast is airing, but we have to watch the dub. And so when the dub got delayed because of COVID it's like, well, guess we'll just wait. Well <laughs> can't watch without Laura Bailey. But yeah, no, she she's really good. Um and it just like Playing Persona 4, again, reminds me, like, how even back in 2008, like, Persona games have always had really good dubs, and they've had, like, really good mm-hmm. voice actors. Um, so, I, I just appreciate right. uh, a lot of the uh, effort that went into it. What I find for uh, games in particular, and also kind of applies to anime as well, is that for games that are visual novel style, it's a lot easier to dub because the voice actors have a lot more free range on how they uh, deliver their lines because they're not matching the lip flaps. Oh, it's just, okay, yeah. here's your line. Say it however the hell you want. Whereas if it's a game like FF15 or uh, Dragon Quest where they have lip flaps to match and they have a limited mm. amount of time to work in, they have to deliver the line to where it matches that character model. And very few games will actually like 
in post, like modify the lip flaps to match. So that's why typically in these kind of visual novel style games, you'll see much better dubbed dubbed performances compared to other ones, especially in the earlier days. Oh, that's a very fair point. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Harry? In your wonderful <laughs> 71 degree England that I'm very <laughs> jealous of right now. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all good. I've been uh, just cracking on with quarantine. It's become tougher recently because uh, I've started dating someone during this lockdown. Oh, which nice. is uh, it's it's cool it's good but it's what it's really fucking irritating because um to see people <laughs> sure. breaking lockdown to go to the beach or something oh, yeah and, and mm. to do things like and it's like mm. and i'm i'm frustrated i'm really annoyed <laughs> that, that <laughs> to, does remind me yeah how well uh, what, what are the statuses of the lockdowns in your places right now it's I guess really place, con- yeah. it's really confusing we've got a lot of deaths um i think much like your president our prime minister has done a terrible job of uh, containing yeah, But didn't he actually eventually, then, like, recognize that, okay, yeah, this is kind of a threat? Wasn't it after he got it himself? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he initially, I think he was on holiday at first when these uh, meetings are going on, and then he missed a lot of meetings. And then he said, well, we'll all get herd immunity, and that's the plan. It's like, okay, well, we now have the second most deaths in the world, over 40,000. Your plan failed, didn't it, prime minister? And even now... People will defend him saying, oh, he's only human. He's doing his best. And it's like, well, okay, he's only human, but he's also the democratically elected prime minister. So who else are we going to hold to account? I don't know. Like, it's frustrating Mm -hmm. to see people defending politicians who have just blatantly done a bad job, irrespective of whether they're on the left or right. If you do a bad job, you should be held to account because Mm -hmm. it's people's lives at stake. So, uh, yeah, the situation is the the rules are really vague. I think a lot of people are kind of breaking lockdown because a lot of people are, A, morons, and B, don't quite understand the directions or the rules given. To be fair, there are a lot of conflicting messages, so it kind of Mm. does become a pick and choose of, well, this doesn't sound real. Uh, And it's just, you know, for for us, right, we, we, we hear stuff that, like, is very clearly dumb for us where it's like, Oh, of course we wouldn't break lockdown. But for other people, what they're hearing is uh, no lockdown's stupid. Right. And it, it's all a matter of right. like, yeah. disinformation. What's it like in Seattle right now? In Seattle, uh, it is it, because we are also one of the big centers for the black lives matter protests. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a lot of, people on both sides are like, no, we should still be on lockdown. And say, well, why are you out protesting? It's like, well, this is an important issue. And it's different from you wanting to go out to the fucking beach, Karen. Yeah. (laughs) I like your usage of Karen. Is that your girlfriend's name? (laughs) Oh, yes, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, Um, in Boston right now, it's uh, we're starting to reopen a little bit. The numbers have are trending down. And so we're like very cautiously doing a phase opening. Oh, yeah, that's what we're on. Uh, So, exactly. So hopefully they continue to trend downwards, but we'll see. It's it's, it's just strange because I feel like, I mean, I'm I'm not sure how it's for you, but I feel our prime minister wants people to use common sense regarding lockdown rules. But the issue is people won't use common sense because in December, the Conservative Party, his party, was voted into power with an overwhelming majority, which to me proves that the majority of people are idiots. And he's expecting idiots to use common sense. And he neglects to see that they're idiots for voting for him and his party. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, well, but well, yeah. It's, 
it's frustrating, but um, but in anime related news, uh, I've mm-hmm. recently watched Doctor Stone, and it was oh, good fun. Oh, nice! So, <laughs> moving on to more jolly things. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. I really liked Doctor Stone uh, because, despite it was, it was absolutely like nonsensical what Senku could do, but all mm. the signs he did was grounded in reality, and I did very much appreciate that. And I also didn't expect to like Senku as a protagonist. Like he is an asshole, but he's a fun asshole especially mm. as the series goes on to me yeah totally like i think you really start to like him over time i found the start of it quite slow i thought right. it took a little while to get going but once it kind of really cracked into it and the the villagers became more prominent characters and it became more kind of based around that cast of characters i felt it got really good definitely um, same for I, me. yeah like it, because then you're not just watching senku and say one or two other people discussing something for an episode is actually like a cast of characters all working together towards a goal and having mm-hmm. various interactions and building said characters. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. And uh, I'm, to, I'm excited for season two. Trying to think of how to describe this without spoiling it. What what did you think about the part where Senku was, I guess, uh, discovering things about certain people in the past? Um, oh, I, th- I think I know what you mean. So it does a few episodes, it goes into certain backstory Right about uh, something. I thought that was actually really well done. I think it it yeah. could it could have been pretty bad, but it actually worked quite well. I feel they they uh, dedicated some sort of significant time to it to really build it and and right. contextualize it. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I wasn't expecting it. I liked it. It was good fun. Yeah, it definitely. Is, I like that too. It was a good old seven out of ten. Good series. I rate yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had word on when season two is coming out yet. I think so. Hopefully. Well, we never know in this situation. But yeah, I'm over here in Boston boiling in 92, 92 degree weather with currently 70, 80% humidity, which I know pales in comparison to a lot of other people out there. But it's hot for me. I have to turn off all of my fans from my recording. 70, 80%, that's so bad. I'm, well, yeah. I'm, so be very grateful, listeners, that I am suffering for your sake. Uh, <laughs> what's very... Refreshing, though, is that I recently finished watching Nagi no Asakura, Asakura, uh, which is uh, the Japanese name for Lola by the Sea. And this show, I I was not expecting to become so invested with it. It is a 2013 anime, and it's been, been on my watch list for a while because I was raised on the coast of California, and so I'm a beach rat. I have an affinity for the ocean. And the whole premise of this show is that there's like another, not another, not necessarily species, but another group of humans that live underwater. And they're not mer people. They don't have fins and scales and things like that. It's just literally like if you moved our society to underwater and people live there and somehow all the physics still work mm. where you even have fire underwater. It's weird. You don't question it too much. <laughs> but um this this show it's by pa works and i would hazard to say that it is pa works magnum opus mm. it, it, there is a point that happens in the show where it undergoes an, an, a complete paradigm shift and through that shift it completely changes how you view everything and it elicits so many different emotions that you don't get too often in an anime and it's just a very subdued tone as well i will say like the first few episodes are a little bit painful because it's middle schoolers being middle schoolers <laughs> but you get past that a little bit it's interesting too because it suffers a little bit from identity crisis 
but that's not necessarily a bad thing in this case. At first, you think this is going to be some sort of romance drama. Then you think it's going to be some sort of commentary on global warming. And then you think it's going to be some sort of uh, coming of age story. And it's never quite any of those. It but kind of hops it, between Okay, themes. so it does touch on those, though. Yeah, it does touch on all of them. And you think it's going to go into them more deeply. But just as just as it reaches that point where you think, okay, we're going to really dig into this. Like, okay, no, <laughs> take a turn here. And we're going to go explore this part now. And that sounds annoying, but they do it very well. This is the thing. I think, I think tonal shifts and thematic shifts, if it's entertaining and it's like consistently enjoyable, I really like them. It's mm-hmm. only when it feels uncomfortable and jarring and annoying that it goes into bad territory. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's a difficult kind of story writing element because I think tonal shifts and, and thematic shifts can be really, really experimentally entertaining if Absolutely. they're done right. And if they're done with like a kind of, a consistently engaging context that feels I think the last time I kind of felt that was with Steinsgate, which manages to be like this uh, dumb, weeby, like comedy show with like a bit of slapstick, but also ends up being like very emotionally moving and kind of horrific. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if it manages to like kind of touch on them all without making it feel, I guess, clumsy or shoehorned in, absolutely and that's what nagi Mm. i'm just gonna call it nagi does you know what the antithesis to that is though no let's all say it together Uh, three two one darling in the franks Franks. (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, but i've said this before i feel there were moments of darling in the franks that were like legitimately fucking fantastic Mm -hmm. and then there were moments that really let it down it was a a strange series and yeah, yeah. I, I think the tonal shifts didn't work, unfortunately. Exactly, yeah. That's an example of it uh, not going over too well. Alrighty, but cool. We've been watching some good anime. We've been getting by in this, uh, this zombie land life, <laughs> sort of. So let's go ahead and get into the news, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Alrighty, so it has been 28 days, gentlemen, since we last recorded. And a lot has happened in the world in those 28 days, as I'm sure you're aware. Mm. Uh, Kyle touched on this earlier, but there is the entire Black Lives Matter movement happening right now. And it is a very important movement that absolutely needs to be happening right now. And I I struggle to, I, I should actually first state, like, we absolutely condone, or not condone, we condemn, that's, <laughs> we that's condemn funny. all forms of systemic racism. And I support, Harry supports, and Kyle all supports the efforts to end systemic racism. And so I really struggled on finding a way to talk about this or bring this up in this podcast. But in the end, we are an anime podcast. And so I tried to find news stories and bits and pieces of outside the U.S. um, in Japan related to the anime industry that is affected or um, are trying to make an effect on this Black Lives movement because it is an international movement. It's not just the U.S. anymore. And so the first thing that I bring up is, does an artist named Lotus Juice oh, Lotus bring Juice. any bells to yeah. you guys? He's the dude I, that wrote no, the music for P3 and P5. Absolutely, yes. He, I didn't know he did it for P5 yeah, also. They brought him back for Royal. Uh, he wrote the new oh, okay, that's why. theme and then a couple other tracks. Oh, so... so. So this is a person who composes for Persona 5. For, for Royal specifically, because yeah. it's Shoji Maguro, oh, yeah, and- but he came back to do No More What Ifs, which is the jazz bar song, uh, Colors Flying High, the new opening, and then yeah. Take Over, which is the battle theme. Yeah. 
I know who's the, I don't know who's the, the female vocalist because she's done that is Lynn Inazuimi. Yes. Yeah, because I know she did all the Persona 5 stuff, all the Persona 5 Royal stuff, and also she's done Persona Scramble. Persona 5 Scramble, oh, yeah, yeah, they brought her back for Scramble. Yes. But yes, so, uh, point being... Is she, is she's collaborated with Lotus yeah, Juice. Lo- Lotus Juice uh, yeah. has... Uh, he, he's a very good lyricist. Mm. Yes, so Lotus Juice, he did the opening for Persona 3, and that's kind of like where he really got his name out. And they also did a lot of other music for Persona 3. I need to go and listen to the music for Persona 5 Royal because I'm never going to play that game, but... New tracks, I'm sure, are great. But anyways, for Lotus Juice, he's um, he's come out and given his story and perspective on this whole movement. And so he, if I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but he actually went to uh, elementary through high school in the U.S. Oh, no, I didn't. And so he, yeah, so he moved to the U.S. Uh, in fourth grade. And he, when he came, he knew absolutely no English whatsoever. And he was terrified uh, as... Uh, young little boy that can't communicate with the kids around him would probably be. Mm. And so he walks into his classroom and his teacher introduces him and he has no idea what his teacher is saying. He just assumes he's introducing him. He doesn't know what, and now it's lunch break and he doesn't know what to do. And another kid in his class gestures him over there, just saying, Hey, come here, come sit with us, come join us. Mm. Um, And so he understands he goes and sits with them. That became his very first best friend in the U S he is African-American. Mm. And so Lotus Juice has a very, very, very uh, sincere uh, mm. love for the African-American community, for the black community. And so he's come out and with this full statement in this story about how this hurts him and why he wants to uh, enact change as well. Other prominent uh, artists, anime artists that have uh, come out in support of the movement is... Uh, old Codex vocalist Tatsuhisa Suzuki, who's done songs for Future Diary, Bakuman, Free, Transformers, Guide Eater, High Speed. Uh, we have Crystal K, who did a lot of the theme songs for the Pokemon movies for the Parappa the Rapper anime, <laughs> which I didn't know was a thing. I didn't know that was a uh, thing either. <laughs> yeah. She did some ending songs for Full Metal Alchemist and Nobat Tamekantabil. Uh, Mitsuhiro Hidaka for Run, Run at the Wind. So all of these uh, very prominent anime uh, singers and artists have come out in support of this movement and with their own stories mm-hmm. and interactions with black people, which is especially surprising considering um, Japan's traditionally xenophobic nature. But when you have all of these artists that got to where they are, not because they are confined to their own country, but because they put themselves out there to other mm-hmm. cultures. And so they feel distinctly affected by all of this. Yeah, that's something that's mm. actually really cool that you can see like in uh, a lot of other anime. Uh, I think the most prominent one that comes to mind recently is Azuken, um, which has a very diverse cast behind it. And it's reflected. Mm-hmm. Well, part part of that is the fact that um, Sumido Uwara himself like has like in the original material, like made a very clear and concerted effort to be very inclusive with the characters he created. Cause there are like, mm-hmm. that was the first time I would really seen just like a black kid in a school setting. And I was like, Oh, okay. Right. That, and yeah, no, no one drew it, attention it to it either. It was just there. Just normal. There are, it doesn't happen often, but I do see some anime where there are black characters, um, and it's, yeah, it's not questioned. I think another example was um, in Little Witch Academia. Mm-hmm. There are certain students who are black. And again, it's not questioned. It's um, it's strange almost to be having this dialogue when it feels like 
this is something that should have been solved decades and decades and decades ago. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is unfortunately a very, I think, not much attention towards the black community in Japan. So obviously to see the occasional anime recognising the existence of black people and saying, hey, we're going to normalise this skin colour alongside everyone else, it's obviously like a really good thing. I wish it was a bit more common right. because yeah. it doesn't seem exactly. to be common. And I think what's what's going to be difficult uh, for native Japanese creators, I feel like, and there are the exceptions like the people at Eizouken, but the vast majority of the creators, their sphere of knowledge does is limited to just Japan mm. itself. And just Japan itself has yeah. very little exposure. And so if you're going to have that kind of inclusion in your show, it still needs to be proper inclusion. You can't, you can't have the person being black be a plot point, for instance. It can't be a joke. It has to be um, they're there for as right. their own character and yeah, not yeah. a means to an end. Well, this, well, and I, I know feel in, like, yeah. In Isaac and like Kyle was saying, it's um, it, it's the, the sound engineer, isn't it? Who's the black character? And it's it's like, again, their skin color is never a plot point. They are just a, mm-hmm. a great, normal, likable character, mm-hmm. right. which is, that's where normalization is. That's where like, that healthy kind of um, equality is. Exactly. And what could also be really uh, useful for that normalization is incorporating the Black culture into those characters as well. And so that brings us to the next one, is that, of course, like I was saying, Japanese anime is predominantly uh, native Japanese people. A recent figure that came out is that only 5% of creators in the anime industry are foreign. However, there is one studio in Japan that is founded by uh, uh, two black brothers and has gone on to start to create new shows. And so that studio is called Dart Stagio. And I'm not just like butchering it for the Japanese. That's actually how it's spelled. <laughs> it's S-H-T-A-G-I-O, D-Art Stagio. And so <laughs> this was founded by uh, Arthel and Darnell, Darnell Isom alongside animator Henry Thurlow. And so they actually worked on many major anime before founding the studio. They worked as background animes for Bleach, Gintama, Black Butler, uh, and Naruto. So they worked on a lot of big things. They also did some drawing for Gundam and Pokemon. And so it's not like they just came out of here from nowhere. They've been in the industry for a while, working in the background all this time. And um, uh, Henry Thurlow makes a comment that back then when he was working on Pokemon, uh, Pokemon and Gundam... Uh, he was drawing for them, but he was never mentioned by name, and he was literally making four dollars a day, four dollars a day doing that mm-hmm. kind of work. And so they made their own studio, Dart Stagio, and so now they helped on several high-profile projects, such as Harry's going to like this, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Golden yeah. Wind. They did work on JoJo. They've done work on Seven Link Den- Deadly Sins. They've done work on Tokyo Ghoul Re and Record of Grand Cursed War. Even some Overlord and some One Piece. So they've been they've been getting around and they also have recently released their own in-house projects. The most recent one being Sturgill Simpson presents Sound and Fury, which oh, is they did a Sound Netflix and Fury. original. Holy shit. Okay. Yes. That's so have you seen uh, that? Kyle? It's been on my watch list because I've seen like a couple like songs out of it, but yeah, it's just one giant animated album. Yeah, exactly. I, I watched a few trailers for it. I haven't got the chance to actually watch it. Yeah, so, it looks but really it cool. Looks like a trip. Yeah. So and their whole vision is to combine Western and Eastern culture into their works. And what they say is that because of their uh, their history and their founding, a lot of back creators 
black creators come and seek mm. them out specifically to tell their stories about like black culture and um, what they've gone through. Mm. And so this movement may be because, excuse me, Dark Stagio has been around since 2018. It hasn't just sprung up recently. And so this movement seems to be what's getting them a lot of attention and getting them a lot of work. And so we might end up seeing more work from them mm. in the future. Mm. It's cool. I would, love to, I would love to see a really, really popular anime with a black protagonist. And I'd love to see something that's got a really big mass appeal to lots and lots mm-hmm. of people. And that has like this global appeal, but with a black protagonist. Um, almost maybe like, like a shonen or something. Something that's really, really commercially popular that will attract a huge audience mm-hmm. and will be like an amazing instance of, um, of normalization and uh, representation. Right. I think that'd be fantastic. Fingers crossed. And if the studio that created from that was like a culturally diverse studio, totally, it wasn't yeah. it's not just like Japanese. Like it would be great if that came from a Japanese studio and they pulled it off. That would almost be more surprising in a way. Yeah, yeah. But I think yeah, having that kind of project come from a culturally diverse studio and how the the manifestation of glo- the globalization of anime, which we are very mm-hmm. gradually mm-hmm. starting to see. Uh, that that stat that I pulled about the five percent foreigners uh, that comes from. An interview with Tadashi Sudo in uh, Tokyo Shinbun. He is the former CEO of Anime Anime, which I'm not sure what that is, but I'm assuming it's a big thing. But um, he says it's five percent non-foreign or five percent foreign, and uh, but he is hopeful he does see trends of that increasing in the future. So mm. I we I feel like we say this in some shape or form every episode, but the the anime landscape is constantly evolving it's evolving and even more rapid right now with how globalized it's become and so what it'll look like five ten years from now is going to be very mm. interesting mm. yeah definitely I, I think things are always getting better but um it's just frustrating how slow things can be at times it's frustrating mm-hmm. that we're living in a world where there's still some people in america who will say things like coronavirus is god's answer to homosexuality you still get people who are the biggest fucking morons ever and they're just so discriminatory and nasty. And it's just like, it's those people who sometimes just slow the debate to an absolute snail's pace and, and just mm-hmm. make these sorts of things so frustrating. You, you know, this is why obviously you have this uh, movement for Black Lives Matter and you've still got idiots saying, well, all lives matter. It's like, you fucking moron. Like, how are you that um, ignorantly racist? And, right. and I think that's what's timing. But, you know, as slow as it is, I think we're making progress. And I think things are slowly getting yeah. better day by day. And I think this movement, yeah. whilst it, it's unfortunate timing because of COVID-19, it has to happen. And I'm really glad it is happening. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what, what the thing I see a lot around the internet now is like companies announcing how they are uh, making changes to their systems to prevent that. For example, Activision announced that they are be t- going to be taking measures to make it more difficult to make racist names mm. for uh, player names. And a lot of people are saying, it's like, oh, it took you this long or it took this kind of event for you to finally do it. Why wasn't it a thing in the first place? But at the same time, mm. uh, combating systemic racism will take systemic change. Yeah. It's not going to be instant. And while I am, I'm, I wish you had done this sooner, I'm yes. glad you're doing it now, <laughs> at least. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think this is yeah. like... Whilst I understand people feeling frustrated, you also have to try and uh, applaud good progress at the same time. Mm, exactly. and I, I, there was a uh, an African-American uh, dance music producer I follow 
He, uh, I think it was a few weeks after Black Lives Matter really picked up steam, but he posted a, a tweet online saying, look, I've not spoken out about this uh, prior because I, I didn't feel comfortable saying what I want to say. I wanted to really word this properly. And he obviously, being African-American, came out massively in support of Black Lives Matter and uh, he posted a really good status. And there was someone in reply saying, no, like you're African-American, you should have spoken out immediately. Why did you wait a few weeks to speak? And I'm just thinking, you're choosing a confrontation where there shouldn't be one. Do you exactly. know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I understand why you might be frustrated, but 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 also respect that like this guy's on your side, this side is on, this guy's on the, the good side. Like right. and congratulate him as someone who's on the good side. Well, Meanwhile, save your anger for the people who are opposing Black Lives Matter. And it's like and who aren't supporting it. it. It's not something that happens overnight. Like I mean, going going back to this okay. uh I, I'm if I'm gonna butcher this Dart Stagio. Stagio, right? Dart Stagio, um, yeah, yeah. close, <laughs> close enough. But that's mm-hmm. studio, right? It's like, it, it, like you said, it's not like they popped up overnight, um, and it's not like they kind of just sat on their hands, like waiting to make this studio. Um, it's something that's been built up, uh, and something that they most likely like had to come up against, like a lot of obstacles and flack for, um, and that takes a lot out of a person. So you can't just expect like absolutely um, like ultimately end of the day like a lot of these companies like are run by people and people who make decisions and people who have to think about these things like I so I work like on the social media team for Xbox and there is a lot of red tape that has to go on before we can make like a simple statement. Mm-hmm. So I, I get it and it. Is unfortunate that it is moving so slow, but these things, like the the these structures have been in place for a long time, so it's going to take right. a long time to change them. And I think it's I think Before it's important that like people who are making good progress and people who are learning and who are like taking the time to educate themselves, because again, that's another point. Like it takes ages to educate yourself sometimes and like relearn certain things and and identify problematic behavior. I think as long as someone's willing to educate themselves and learn more and join the good fight then they deserve a well it's like back. even they even they going back to that. like like what we're talking about with you know how black characters are showing up in anime it's the fact that this is part of the conversation that this is accepted as normal now yeah and it, it's really good that it's getting better and it, it's like yeah it's always frustrating that things weren't being done sooner but it's like well as long as it gets done eventually that's the most important thing it's like um mm-hmm. Like for me, for example, with, um, I won't go into a preachy twatty rant about it, but for me with veganism, if somebody went vegan, I wouldn't say, oh, why didn't you fucking do it sooner? I'd say, amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> you've gone vegan. And I'd, I'd say that's really good. And I, I'd support them because that's the way you make progress. You don't make progress by attacking people and vilifying people who are, who are good people who are on your side. Um, so. Misplaced. Anger. Yes. <laughs> All right, before we move on, just uh, a few other companies have announced their support. Uh, Funimation has said that they will donate a minimum of $1 oh million dollars to organizations that stand for social justice mm. over oh, the okay. next four years. Not, but not all at very, once, but over the next four years. They also, yeah, and they say that they are going to include internships and events and education for young people of color. They are going to be enabling direct individual action to create equality for our fans and for the world. That sounds like PR talk to me for the most part, but it's still a nice sen- sentiment. Mm. A uh, Pokemon company as well as uh, backed with, uh, sorry, not Pokemon company, Niantic, will uh, donate at least $5 million to nonprofits around the world. Uh, Square Enix as well. 
and uh, yeah, Pokemon Company. There it is. A uh, hundred thousand dollars to NAACP, and one hundred thousand dollars to Black Lives Matter. So yes, uh, and plenty more companies as well beyond that. Mm. All righty, now for a tonal <laughs> shift. <laughs> So there it was an article that came out in the Tokyo Keizai online newspaper recently. And so that is one of the major newspapers for Japan. And it was about Anime Studios' thoughts and feelings about partnering with Netflix. Which is, it's a very rare glimpse mm. into how these streaming rights and uh, money is distributed on a streaming platform, especially overseas. Because we don't get that much with Crunchyroll and Funimation, which we'll talk about later. But for this, there's a lot of interesting tidbits that came out of this article. The first of which is that many anime studios are pretty trepidatious of working with Netflix. Mm. One of the main reasons is that um, no matter how the anime does, it makes no difference to the studio itself. What that means is that Netflix will outright buy the streaming rights to an anime, but it does not provide royalties for the anime. So if the anime does well, the, the studio doesn't see any of that come back as a royalty. Mm. So that's a win for Netflix. However, if it doesn't do well, that's kind yeah. of a win for the company itself because it's not a loss yeah. for them. But that's kind of, there's no positive feedback in that way. It's very contractual based. And the other flip side to that is that Netflix does not release its viewership numbers to their partners, which means that the oh, anime wait, studios not, can't even tell even, how I, I well their show it did. To your consumers, but they don't even release it to the studios. Does not release it to their part. The, the wording is to their partners, which I take it to mean mm. is oh as the studios. And so that makes it difficult to negotiate right. higher payments for the next streaming deal. And again, also like, did people like our show? <laughs> yeah, it, it must be like so. Trigger has BNA coming out soon on a. I think like US and and outside of US Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's only in Japan currently, isn't mm -hmm. it? And it's like, I'm really excited yes. to see it, uh, but it's a shame to think they won't actually know how popular it is and whether it's like had a good uh, consumer response or yeah, not. Yeah, because like you can, I mean, I would assume that it's doing well, but if you're in Japan and like the only way you can really tell is whether and like how people are talking about it on social media, but a mm. lot of times that won't accurately. So like, for example, people were shitting all over Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield, and that was coming out, but that mm -hmm. still sold a lot of units. <laughs> yeah, record numbers. Like, but you can't always go based off of the tone of social media, right? If if you judged Pokemon Sword and Shield purely from social media, you would think that it was one of the worst games of all time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's so, a weird position for them to be in. It's very, it's very strange. Yeah, and I know what you're going to ask next. So what about Crunchyroll and Funimation? How do they do this? And so I tried to find some sort of um, validated article that would clarify this. And the only yeah. thing I could find, because I found a whole bunch of forum posts, but like I can't really say how trustworthy those are. But I did find a Hollywood Reporter article that came out in 2018. And in it, they reported that Fun or not Fun Crunchyroll uh, contributed more than $100 million to the Japanese anime industry in royalty payments over its 10 years of existence at that time. So that sounds like a lot. However, <laughs> the anime industry as a whole in that same amount of time is has been estimated to have generated $50 billion. Oh, wow. So $100 million out of that $50 billion is a very small, tiny, little fraction. So it's hard to say 
it, how much that actually is to the studios themselves. But at the very least, that is confirmation that the control does pay royalties back, some royalties back. And I'm not sure about Funimation. Mm. Mm. Uh, another another uh, aspect of the Netflix deal is that because Netflix only buys the streaming rights, they don't buy anything else. They don't buy the rights to merchandise. They don't buy the games. To, they don't buy the rights to games, home video, or any other forms of uh, media. That makes it very difficult for uh, the studios to make revenue out of other means, external means as well, such as figures, uh, games, or uh, scrolls and things like that. Because if you go on Funimation and Crunchyroll, they have a store for all of that. You can buy merchandise related to the show you love, just like the 10 billion wall scrolls that Harry has a one piece of shirt. <laughs> I, w- I wish. I wish I had the money for that. And so a lot of uh, students have expressed that kind of frustration of being unable to. One insi- And all of these insiders are anonymous, by the way. One insider uh, notes how it would have been extremely difficult for Kimetsu no Yaiba to become the massive hit it is if it was only distributed through streaming. If it was distributed through streaming, nothing else, it had no other presence whatsoever, it would not have blown up to be as big as it is, which I have a statistic for that later mm-hmm. on as well. So it, there's a lot of... Uh, uncertainties with Netflix. The one uh, silver lining to it, though, or I guess it's a big silver lining, is that each episode of a major tile, they pay out 50 to 70 million yen per episode, which is equivalent to 500 to $700,000 per episode, mm. which is a lot. Yeah, that, that is good. So, right. So it, do you guys think this is an acceptable way to bring uh, anime over here to kind of because think, in a way, Netflix is shouldering yeah, the risk for I, these shows. No matter how bad it does, they will pay the studios. I think it's really a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, like, it right. is... I think Netflix have done a really good job of making some anime more accessible. Because I think, for example, like, if you're getting Crunchyroll or you're getting Funimation, you are clearly an anime fan. Whereas there's a lot of people who get Netflix who don't watch anime. And they're not interested in anime, mm-hmm. but they may come across something by, like, watching stuff on Netflix just as a random user. Uh, so in that sense, it's a really good thing, I think, for, for increasing anime's appeal. But um, I do find it strange that they don't release any kind of popularity results to their partners. That's what I find weird. If they turned around mm-hmm. saying, like, we're not going to give you royalties, it's like, mm, that's a bit weird. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still like a, a consensual business transaction that companies are making and, and they can decide whether right. they want to do that. So it's a risk they're choosing to take. But I think the element of like not then telling companies retroactively like, oh, this is how your show is done. These are the responses to it. Because I think especially like with an experimental studio like Trigger, they could probably afford to know like like, when they're doing very experimental different series. It's probably quite helpful to know this series has done really well for us. And this is like being commercially popular because then they can obviously like, I don't know, it can maybe help their roadmap for future titles. Right, they don't I have a formula would, that they can stick okay, to so I would that they know would work. That this decision or these weird business practices aren't just exclusive to anime uh, with Netflix, in that it's something that's for some other reason like affected by their partnerships in like Western movies or other areas like TV shows. Um, which I still why, but I I don't know if that's like. It it seems to me like it's something that's like weird bureaucratic red tape um, that is unfortunately affecting anime, but not targeting anime. Um, I just, I can't think of like, I guess a real reason why they would be doing that or like a benefit. 
Yeah, it's the not releasing viewership numbers is the, like Harry said, the really big question mark to me. It's just like, what do you gain by not releasing those numbers? Like, again, like you said, um, it's one thing not to show it to the public, but is it because you want to have sort of a bargaining chip? You want to be able to, you don't want to give the studios ammunition to say, hey, look, our show did yeah. really well for you. Maybe like pay us more for the next show, but but that doesn't sound like why would you yeah, hold it hostage? Or that's effectively what they're doing. They're holding right. the studios hostage by like not giving them enough information on whether or not it's a viable business decision to stay. Right. What mm. one of the quotes from the insider say at this rate we might become a subcontract subcontracting mm. company to Netflix. That's basically what it is if they're holding back that much information. Yeah, it's a strange one. I'm not sure. And I, I understand why they wouldn't like tell the public because I mean, the public doesn't need to know. It's not really their business. But I, I also get when you said like how if they told partners, it would potentially affect like business negotiations because then partners could say, oh, well, this did really well. Give us more money. But then that's just kind of Netflix being a shitty company. Then again, to be a really popular rich company, you kind of have to be a shitty company at times. Well, it's <laughs> weird when you look at uh, like... I don't know. Okay, so like kind of com- in comparison, if you look at uh, video game platforms, like you can see how many people are playing on Steam. You know exactly how many people, like how popular a game is. Uh, they have reviews. Yeah, I also don't like Netflix's weird gating of its review system. They used to have stars. But now it's like, oh, this is like a 92% match for you. It's like, what? No, that doesn't tell me anything mm. about this series. <laughs> yeah. It's the, strange. The weirdly obfuscating. Yeah, the, yeah the, the, Steam, the Steam numbers is a so, good point, yeah. I don't know. Netflix. Oh, yeah, why? So, let, yeah, why, why would it be okay for games but not? Well, the, the weird part is like you see mm. it in other, you, you see these statistics in other platforms like, Amazon Prime has a bunch of anime and a lot of exclusive anime. Uh, not only will they show you Amazon mm-hmm. ratings or like user ratings on Amazon, they'll also link IMDb. So they'll let you know exactly how people feel about a series. Um, and if it's a bad one, it's like, okay, well, they're still going to let you know. So right. I don't know. Netflix, uh, stop. Yeah, I I, I was going to say because like maybe there, there's some sort of ad revenue from just having a click, but I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. It's all subscriber-based. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, Netflix, I'm, I'm grateful that you're making anime more widely accessible, but there are still some questionable things. But at the same time, again, massive caveat is that I can't really say that Crunchyroll or Funimation are any better because I could not find any concrete information mm. on their business practices. Moving on, COVID-19 continues to still be a thing, Hooray. as we all know. <laughs> and... <laughs> Anime has absolutely been affected by it. If you were trying to watch any shows this season, chances are at least one of them got delayed or so postponed. many of my shows. Many one of them in my case. One Piece has gone. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. Gone. I'm, 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 at least I can still watch Black Clover, which I know is not as good, but it's it's been my weekly, like, yeah, a quick Tuesday watch, but no, that's off as Is well, it still so coming out, or good. is it just they completely halted production? It, it's, just, it's just all halted, uh. like... There's nothing new coming out, so mm, I've had to to rewatch shows recently and watch new things. This is a situation <laughs> like, where I feel like it would oh, be to like CGI's benefit, since that's entirely computer based. Um, although I don't know the anime production. Yes. Um, so, right. So that kind of ties into one of the points here. So there was a 
an article that came out for the Mainichi Shinbun, which again, another Japanese newspaper that was uh, talking about the impact of COVID on the anime industry. Yeah. It's bad, mm. as we know, but <laughs> TLDR. But the one of the main points that comes out of this is that to develop anime takes currently twice as long to produce, and it takes three times as long to uh, make the voiceovers for it. And to your mm. point, Kyle, a lot of studios still uh, work in an analog format. They have not that's converted to a digital yeah. format. And that's kind of the case for, yeah, that's the case for a lot of Japanese companies on the whole. Uh, you hear about uh, Japan, com Japanese companies, unable to really make that conversion to work from home model. You hear that about a lot of video game companies as well. They aren't equipped for that, which is really a little, so much surprising when you think about it. But at the same time, uh, Japanese societies really value uh, those in-person interactions and that kind of formality of the trip, the transfer of roles. But still, it, the the amount that this kind of crippled them was a little bit surprising. But uh, things are starting to gradually return to normal, but it will continue for this way yet. One of the interesting things that came out of this, though, was how a voice recording is being done right now. And for the longest time, I'm like, how the hell do you do voice recording? But that's because that's putting people in a airtight and closed soundproof space that sounds like a natural born disaster for this COVID situation i really did not understand how anime was being made at all right now uh, so it turns out so the normal way for recording to be done is that you would have 10 people in a booth at once doing recording for like a scene up to 10 people <clears throat> in a normal recording booth now it is only three people at once in a recording booth that would normally be meant for Whoa, an orchestra okay wow <laughs> so yeah so you take the recording booth that's normally made for an orchestra, make li three little kiosks for it, and okay. slot people in. And that's how recording is being done right now. So, yeah, that sounds pretty safe. But as you might guess, there aren't that many recording booths Support that, that can yeah. uh, accommodate yeah. a whole orchestra. Yeah, and when you normally would record 10 people at once and you're down to three people, hence why it takes three mm. times as long. It probably takes longer because I imagine there's a lot more people vying for that space as well since there's fewer studios. But um, yes, a few, a few companies have posted uh, Twitter shots on it. Uh, anime sound, the anime sound director, Masafumi Mima of My Hero Academia, he's posted all of these various pictures on Twitter of their sound recording uh, setups. And it is very creative. <laughs> like if there's one thing that's come out of this whole situation, it's the... Ability for humans to get creative when they need to be. I'm really happy that uh, season four of My Hero Academia wrapped up before COVID-19 because uh, that's my fave. And obviously, I don't want to lose that. But um, yeah, it's been mm -hmm. interesting how like, I think a lot of people have tackled this in a very creative way. And I really respect every company who's tackling it in a way where it keeps employees really safe and it puts employee health mm -hmm. above all else. I think there's certain companies uh in the uk and i imagine in the us as well that are very much just like putting money and capitalism above human life and i don't agree with that for one second i think it's really sad but obviously you have this kind of um flaw in capitalism well, it's kind of one of many it's flaws pretty dependent for, on the industry so for the entertainment industry uh because that pipeline is typically like very heavily digitally based um there are probably like um, like Matt mentioned um, a lot of creative ways you can get around it um, and still keep people employed. But for service mm. industry that is reliant on customers, 
uh, people are probably feeling very pressured to you know, go against uh, the better, more sound judgment of uh, health recommendations. Right. I, I don't know if you saw, Kyle, about how oh, AMC announced that they were going to be yeah, reopening theaters. That, mm. Yeah. And at first, they were saying, we're not going to require customers to wear face masks. Me? And everyone's like, you what now, mate? <laughs> and literally, like, I think it was like four hours after that statement, they t- made a total reverse course. Like, oh, no, 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 just kidding. JK, everyone's required to wear a face mask. I, but yeah, I, I cannot imagine yeah, so. this quarantine uh, w- without the technology that we do have right now. Absolutely. Yeah. If we couldn't telework, oh if we could, if it didn't have video calls and things like that or the internet, it's like, yeah, economies would crumble. Oh, here's something for you, Harry. So Atra Oda uh, quoted, preparations are underway behind the scenes so that art, the show One Piece can oh, continue nice. even in the current oh, situation. Really? It's just so what the anime yes. like, will continue. Oh. Right. Yeah. That's why I assume yeah, yeah. the show. That's, that's really cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Because I, I think they're <clears> doing a live action show currently. So I wasn't sure if it meant that. But um, I don't care about the live action show, obviously. I want the anime to come back. Uh, ended mm-hmm. on a good cliffhanger. The last episode, it was very exciting. I want to see what happens next. So, uh, so yeah, fingers crossed it will come back <laughs> soon. Um, it's, yeah. 2020 is a fucking weird year. We are not even halfway through. It's, it's a wash. <laughs> it has been strange. No, we're, we're, oh, I guess we'll be halfway through in 10 days. Yeah, You've got your uh, election as well. Oh, you Lord. In America. Yeah, we do. That's just... Will we at this rate as well? <laughs> That's going to be yeah. interesting. It's oh man, let's just uh, cryo freeze ourselves to twenty twenty one. Okay, so we're bringing back the segment lightning news roundup because I got a whole bunch of little smaller headlines that we probably won't talk about much, but they are worth yeah. mentioning. Promise Neverland getting a live action film by Amazon. Uh, yay! That's cool. a yay question mark. I- I, With I the producer this, yeah. of the live-action Death Note. Oh, that oh, is yeah. definitely a not yay. Oh no! Yes. Yeah, but, but other other this. other staff um, on board is Rod Rodney Rothman, who uh, directed directed uh, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, and Megan Malloy, who is writing the plot, who also did Into the Spider Verse. So you at least have those two people on board. Mm. Uh, executive producer Masi Oka, who was part of Heroes. And he's also the one that did the Death Note film. Mm, that is not very encouraging, man. <laughs> I mean, you can have like a chocolate chip cookie, but if the cookie itself is made of shit, it will never taste good. The chocolate chips will never change, right? I don't know if that analogy works. <laughs> Even if it's yeah, that works, works, that works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but chocolate chips are great, but when they're embedded in a cookie made of shit, it's never, ever going to be good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I always feel frustrated whenever you've got like... Uh, so the anime, for example, which is fantastic, and I feel like it's as good as it can be. Why would you try and redo that? Because it's it's never going to be as good as the original, is it? It's never it, like it's never going to be. Oh yeah, Promise Neverland is great, but have you seen the live action version? That's amazing. Like, like that's never going to happen. So why would you even bother taking on a creative project when you know you're never going to surpass its source material? There, there are certain like, directions of adaptation that I can understand, like having a video game adapted into an anime or having, you know, obviously mangas get adapted into anime, but like, what, what, am, what am I getting with a live action? Yeah, like, I, I, If I, I anything, you have like less dimensionality table. to it because you can't just draw, like you're very limited to people and like physical stuff and unless you have like mm-hmm. a really good budget cgi is going to look like crap 
Mm. So it's yeah. just a big question mark. I am assuming that it's getting picked up because they saw that, oh, this series is really popular. Let's make a show out of it. Shut up. But yeah. They read my article and thought, what a cool article. We'll have to <laughs> take this serious. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah I, I'll, so I'll check it out because obviously like... Um, morbid curiosity. I, I really, en- I, I, I really right. enjoyed writing my article and I'd like to see how they explore what I spoke about in my article in the live action adaptation, but uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't have yeah. high hopes. Yeah, I don't... I, I'm not sure if we've seen a live action adaptation from Amazon yet. I think this is the first one, right? Because all the other ones that have been announced that we talked about yeah. before have been Netflix. I don't know if that's going to make it any better. Right, yeah. I don't, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think that's a plus or a minus. All righty, moving right along. We got the uh, top-selling manga in Japan for 2020. And this... Li- <laughs> wow. So, yeah, this list is something else. So, let's start at number two. What's, what's at number two, do you think? Top-selling Demon manga series Slayer? in Japan for 2020. Mm. Not Demon Slayer. Um... Should we just guess some really popular manga? You can guess. You can, you can, yes, it is a really popular okay, manga. Okay, so One Piece. Okay. It is oh, okay, One Piece. Cool. So One Piece is number right. two. What's at number three? Kyle might get oh, this one. Oh, God. Is it trash? Uh, Kind of. Okay, so kind of. Uh, Is it a shonen? Sword Art Online. Yeah, Sword Art? I don't know. What, no. What's... <laughs> the Quintessential oh, Quintuplets. Mm. Gotobun. Yeah, that ended this year. So, uh... What One Piece sold uh, 4.8 million volumes. Quote, Gotobun sold 4.2 million volumes. Uh, number four is Kingdom at 3.5. Number five is My Hero Academia okay. at 3.3. So here's the kicker. Okay, so number one is Demon oh, Slayer. nice. Right. Uh, so keep in mind that number two, One Piece, sold 4.8 million copies. Demon Slayer sold 45.3 oh. million oh copies. Ten times. More than ten times times how? the amount is it, uh, Demon of Slayer, is fantastic. Demon Slayer I think how is, is ending as well is it so it, you're probably getting yeah. to the point where that reminds me of yeah, Promise Neverland also ended recently oh, oh did, okay. it, did it get wrapped up in the manga okay yes. uh, yeah so it's probably yes. a case of you you have like a very popular shonen that's not like wearing out it's welcome and I, I haven't caught up with the most recent chapters but uh like for the most part, like the last arc is really, really fucking good. Which is, I feel like, is rare. Yeah, like for a long running show. It's, it's not, pretty it's not rare even a long running show. Like it, this came well. out like two years ago. Would you? Oh, wow. So, Kyle, you've read nearly all, all of it. Would you say it's one of the most consistent shows? Yeah, absolutely. Seen? Yeah, like it never gets and, less than pretty good. And assuming it sticks for landing, which I think it will, do you think it will like go down as one of the best shonen ever made? Yes, uh, I, I say I I, mm-hmm. I I don't want to commit to. Sounds that. Sounds like there's some asterisks well, in there. <laughs> there are a few things that I have issues with um, with Demon Slayer, namely its pacing, uh, because at the it it tries to cram a long running shonen's like plot progression into you know like a dozen or so volumes. And as a result, it doesn't really ever give the characters moments to breathe. Like, I want to see those, like, downtime moments where you just see the cast kind of just hanging out. And you don't really get that that much. 
you want that filler arc. You want that it's not filler. <laughs> Slice of Life is not no, filler. I know, I know, yeah. No, I know Shut what you mean. Like, I do think those but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, right. Where it's like, I, like a large part of One Piece, right, is like how much you'll just see the straw hats just kind of dicking around. Um, and hanging yeah. out with each other. Well, so, some of my some of my favorite My Hero Academia moments are just where it's like them at school just hanging out. Yeah, and and, and, and there's no there's no villains. There's nothing really going on. It's just them like learning some new special. Yeah, moves so like in, in Demon Slayer, uh, they don't really have that. But um, it's on the flip side the fact that it's moving through some really great plot progression, um, and it does not hold back any punches. Like it makes it, it subverts your expectations in the right way in ways that don't feel contrived or forced. Uh, so if anything, mm, which is very difficult to do, yeah. especially for a shonen. So I think if anything, um, whether or not this will go down as like quote unquote, one of the best ever, I think it's at least setting the standard for what people should view the shonen series as, because it has mm. kind of like ever since like bleach Naruto and one piece came out in the mid two thousands, like they kind of set the standard for what shonens have been like for the past decade or so. Um, even if you really want to go back, DBZ kind of set up what shonens were going to be like for the past 20 years, uh, 20, 30 years. So I would like to think that this is a move towards something different. Uh, same with Promise Neverland. That's a really cool yeah. way of putting it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, the, the fact that it's ending absolutely contributes to its sales. But yeah, it, it definitely stands on its own two legs, too. We'll get the next season eventually. Mm. I can't remember if we have a release date on the movie yet either. I'm pretty sure that gets Train at some points, but yeah. yep. It's fun. Looking forward to I'm it. I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be good. <laughs> and, and again, speaking, speaking Whether, of good uh, shonens, I do really like, I know I fucking bang on about how much I love it all the time, but uh, One Piece? I really like, but my, no, my <laughs> Academia, <laughs> again, I'm excited at the prospect of a shonen being really long running and being very consistent with very few filler episodes. And very few like filler moments and being just like like there's obviously flawless here and there and i think it's inevitable of any long-running show but to have something as consistent as it is i think is like a big milestone mm-hmm. right yeah it, to have anything consistent for more than i'd say 24 episodes Honestly, if we're, if we're pretty, talking about something that, I, at that, that point. would probably go down as like the best manga ever uh that honestly probably go to one piece um because i got I got like four mm. or 500 chapters in deep and from people I know who are like on chapter 950, uh, it has not lost its consistent quality, which oh, is no, kind of is impressive. Really fucking good. Yeah. 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 It is really good. It's mind boggling. I just don't understand how you can do that. How Atro Oda pulls that off. Like as an outsider perspective, mm. just with very minimal experience to one piece, just mind boggling. Yeah. Weathering with are you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> just leave it alone no nope. we talk about the better weathering with nope you? your name which one was that <laughs> uh well we could talk about that when the live action news comes oh, out i'm not uh, more live action your name is one of my favorite films ever so i'm not looking forward to live action yes so anyways for weathering with you we got a nice little uh tidbit from makoto shinkai it's just a funny little trivia where and the Blu-rays, the Blu-rays recently came out for Weathering With You. And of course, for Blu-rays, they typically go in and spruce up scenes here and there, make them look better. Uh, one scene in particular had a bit more of a touch-up than others, though. And I'm not going to spoil it here. But uh, basically, there's one scene where it was lacking clouds. <laughs> there was no cloud layer. And Makoto Shinkai said that his blood ran cold when he saw the final cut and he realized that he forgot to add clouds. <laughs> 
And so clouds are now in this version of the movie, and he can. Oh yeah, because that was the problem with that movie. Shink. That was the issue. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's all fixed now. Uh, we can like, go I, and rewatch my, the Blu-rays. We'll love my, it. The clouds are back. <laughs> I, I'm really concerned that Makoto Shinkai is turning into George Lucas. <laughs> we'll see in another two years uh, when this next please. film comes out. I mean, like, it, it's hard to say because, like, it's only one movie after your name so far. So we'll see what the next one. And at that point, two points make a line. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That is, that then we can start fair. making trend lines. Maybe Weathering With You was a weird anomaly. Yes. And then finally, uh, last episode, we talked about the Inuyasha reboot, and now we have a Shaman oh King God. reboot. Well, I guess uh, Inuyasha isn't a reboot, it's a sequel, but uh, Shaman King is a reboot. So it is coming in April 2021, and it will tell, it will be a retelling of all 30, where did the number go? I think 34, 35 volumes of yeah, the original manga. Yeah, didn't it get the full metal I have not watched Shaman King. Where the anime, like, the anime came out when the manga was still being written. So it might, this is like yes. the equivalent of Brotherhood. Okay. Probably, yeah. It, it's just like, so I, I watched a little bit of Shaman King here and there back on Toonami in the day. All I remember is the little snowman. Have either of you watched any I Shaman King? I read a bit of it. From what I remember, it's just stands, but not, but like there's a little <laughs> more logic to it. Okay. Yeah, it's because... I, I hear people get excited about Shaman King here and there. I hear people that really liked it, but it's never been one of those shows where I thought there's been like this intense craving for that people want more or like they have like it holds a really special place in their heart. So this this announcement I think it was, just, it was a very surprise, solid hey. series um, and it had its following and it had its fans. Yeah, exactly. And we are definitely entering that age of kind of uh, reboots mm -hmm. and remakes that the video game medium went through and is still kind of going through right now. Uh, like I said, last episode, we had Inuyasha. We still have uh, the Higurashi remake that got delayed, unfortunately, which would have been really, really appropriate if mm. it came out during this time. But yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing more remakes and reboots come out of uh, older shows because I feel like the diff it is similar to uh, games being able to relive those moments, except I also feel like it would, it's less of a commitment than games. Well, to, okay, uh, so that's actually an interesting stuff. point um, with, especially with like media that is, I, I guess I would say dated, um, where it's kind of held, it was held back by the limitations of the time. Uh, so for example, mm -hmm. uh, it's, you, you have like Resident Evil, right? And those remasters that like add a lot of like modern mechanics to the gameplay. Uh, but one of the right. instances of bringing an old game back uh, is Persona 4. Uh, and having played through it, uh, having just finished Royal, I really like the story and the characters. It's a great concept, but it is kind of held back by very dated 2008 game design mechanics. Um, mm -hmm. So with stuff like Shaman King coming out, uh, like Persona coming out, all of these old media, it's really interesting to see what like how th media was made in that period um and whether or not any changes will be made to it uh so in persona's case it's just mm -hmm. it's literally the same game that came out back out then right yeah that that's a point too because in games you can yeah. have remasters which is just upscaling the textures but uh for anime everything would be a remake at that point it's not like no 
you, the remasters in anime do happen. You have like mm-hmm. Cowboy Bebop remasters and all that, but they don't get like a big announcement. It's not like a news piece. So like whenever these kind of remakes happen, it's a big deal yeah. because so they that, are being yeah, made. Yeah, so on scratch, that point no, too, like, um, I act, because I, I, I wanted to, uh, I, was, I had a curiosity. I looked up um, old Fruits Basket's English dub uh, just to see what it was like. Uh, first off, Laura mm-hmm. Bailey has not changed her voice in like 20 years. Uh, it, it's still great, but it was really interesting <laughs> having watched because I never really watched the original Fruits Basket, um, so I don't have it in my memory. Um, so I've been watching the, the the remake, but going back to the original, it's very, it's very dated. Not not it, it's very dated in a oh, yeah. way, in the kind of it's like oh that's definitely a product of its time. Yeah, absolutely, and what's really cool about the remake too is that it still has that. You've talked about it before, but it still has that early 2000s comedy, but it's coated over with that fresh coat of paint. It's the kind of comedy we don't see too much nowadays in modern anime, but mm-hmm. it's refreshing again because we haven't seen it so long, but it's presented yeah. in an yeah. appeasing way. So we'll, mm. we'll see what they do with Shaman King. Yeah. And then finally, Unyoung Choi of Science Saru. Uh, we covered how uh, Masaki Yuasa departed, left Science Saru some time ago, so now Unyoung Choi is the president on her own. She has announced that she is working on a new TV show with a new director. No idea what it is, but it's happening. So this will be the first show to come out of Science Saru without any of Yuasa's fingerprints on it. Well, I'm pretty hopeful for it. Exactly. All right, that wraps it up for the news. Uh, uh, A lot of little smaller things and uh, a lot of business corporate shakeups going on this episode, but interesting things we don't get to see too often. So... That brings us to our main topic, which I realized I hadn't been calling its segment name in a long time. It is our Shitsumon. <laughs> and so our Shitsumon this episode is, we want to talk about tropes. Anime's got lots and lots of tropes. You can go to tvtropes.com. There's a sub tag for anime for it. And so we see these a lot. We've become jaded to it. But what are some tropes that really get under our skin that every time we see we have to roll our eyes at or just let out so a I'm, sigh? I've got a but bit then, of a list. I've uh, been really oh, yeah. All right. So before that, as well as take those tropes now, and what's an example of a show that turns it on its head or muses mm. it in a meaningful way, uh, makes it somewhat uh, unexpected or makes it fun? Uh, or you can make up an example of your own. So Harry, let's start I'm, us off. I'm going to choose got? something kind of obscure, but I don't feel gets commented on a lot. But it's something where I, I always tend to notice it. It really bothers me. It's when a character says something about themselves or they give information, but it's in a very... as part of the But it's, it's very unnatural. So they'll, they'll say to like a character who knows all about them, like, as you know, my weapon has the power to turn into fire. And oh, it's like, they know yeah, that. Yeah. They know, why are yeah. you saying that to them? Oh, it's so the viewer knows, but you wouldn't say that in real life. Does that sort of yeah. make sense? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This happens a lot in anime and it really irritates me. So, when I started spotting that, it becomes like an an ongoing thing now where it really irks me every time I see it. Like, if you're going to discuss that, discuss it in the context of a character who doesn't know that. Like, by the way, I should let you know because you don't know this thing, my weapon turns into fire. That would be more, um, like, in uh, more, uh, it would make better sense. That's the the term, right. (laughs) And the the related trope of that too is when you have like the dumbass character ask a question about something that's very commonplace in the yeah. world, it's or someone comments on something that's commonplace that the dumbass character is like, oh, what's that? Just like, and then they go in and explain it because the dumbass character is supposed to represent you, the viewer. Yeah, who doesn't know it, it just feels like, like really irritating and unnatural. 
Right. Like that that that's definitely a storytelling device that cropped up in anime a lot recently because for a while they'd have like the exposition where it'd be like an internal monologue where the person the character will meet another character would be like in their head this is my best friend that i've known since childhood <laughs> they're like chito gay mr japanese person age 18 second year in high school <laughs> and this person is miss sakura amamiya from See, and- in, in so a weird so way, I don't mind that as much because it just feels more like it's just, it is what it is. It's exposition, but it's, yeah. it's not being secretive about being exposition. It's just saying, this is just mm-hmm. exposition. But it irritates me more when it's actually integrated into dialogue in a way that feels unnatural. If it's integrated into dialogue right. in a way that feels natural, then fantastic. That's perfect. But it's when but it's, it's just very like clearly obvious. It, when, like, I would say that Matt's example is kind of the exact same as yours, Harry, which is you know that the show is telling you information about something because they want you to yeah. know it rather than it comes yeah. up in conversation where it's like you pick up on a on a detail about uh, some character's uh, history or their personality uh, by having it just come from something that the characters are talking about, not I'm going to tell you what this thing is or what I am. Mm. It's very obvious. Yeah. You know what, what the best example of this is? In Fate Zero, the oh, very first yeah. episode, oh. when you just got Kotomine oh. and Kirei oh. walking around in a circle for like oh 10 minutes straight, yeah. just blabbering that, that exposition. In that show. <laughs> in nonsensical like, terms. So hard. Yeah. It is a god awful first impression of the show for a really incredible, amazing show. But my God, because that first episode is double feature length, they can dedicate so much time for that single Mm. scene. And it's a whole 10 minutes long. You know, I'm curious about that because like that's meant for people who don't know the Fate franchise, right? Like, right. But I'm pretty sure like that. Wouldn't, didn't explain yeah, anything. Yeah, so I, I was wondering, like, it's what so that would convoluted be, like, and complicated. Like, if that's their first exposure to fate. But yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 uh, my guess is that doesn't make any sense. I, I'm, I'm just getting angry thinking about it. So thanks for that, Harry. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, what's another uh, trope that makes you angry? <laughs> because I have Persona on the mind, um, I <laughs> absolutely hate when. And I get that this is a reflection of, like, Japanese society, or at least pop culture reflection of it, right? And you see it a lot, um, Mm -hmm. where people, like, badmouth and gossip somebody, but even after it's, like, they've proven themselves. um, So, like, in Five, right? Uh, When you first get to school, uh, they just, like, everybody just keeps shitting on you. Um, and that continues. <laughs> yeah, and it's Outsider. like what, what? this. This is it. I, I I can get that if it's like based around something tangible, but a lot of the time it's just oh you're different. Fuck you. And the the way that I've seen that like combated is when it's actually played straight. Um, and they actually like dig into that, or you have like characters coming to that defense. Um, but when it's just like random belligerence for the sake of it um it's really grating because the the idea behind it is that they're trying to get you to sympathize with the character right but sympathy that comes from just blind hate isn't really sympathy it's just they they become a wooby where you feel bad for them because they're being treated badly 
but you don't really care for them as a character. Um, mm. Yeah. I think especially when it's a mm. silent protagonist too, where you have no reason to care. Yeah, for so the it just feels like they're being mean they, to me. They're not a character. Like, no, stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I do to you? What I do to you? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so you said uh, an ex- uh, the way to counter that is when they really dig into it. Someone comes to the defense. Can you think of an example of um, that or how that would play out? That's a good question. Um, okay, so. I guess one of the examples, like, Azekin is probably a recent example, not not exactly one-to-one, but um, one of the main characters, Asakusa, um, is, uh, she does feel, like, attacked at times, um, and she's very clearly, like, out of her element um, in a lot of situations, but then you'll have, like, her friend, Kanamori, come in and, like, come up to bat and, like, defend her, and, and that actually is part of Asakusa's character development, where she learns to find her own voice. Um, so that's a really good way mm-hmm. to go about it. And the people that do shit on them, like they, the show makes an effort to tell you and show you that they are being challenged, that those viewpoints are being challenged and that is reflected in how they interact with the characters. But when it just continues to be like random ass, like people shitting all over you, it's like, what? stop like this. Okay. So bleach is probably an older example that like does both weirdly enough so after the soul <laughs> society arc right like it, ichigo becomes like frenemies with a lot of people there but yeah every time they like come up against new villains it's like oh you suck you human you can't go up against me and it's like i've seen this <laughs> in like the past four fucking arcs stop stop That's i true. don't give a sh- like i fucking hate okiora so much as a character just because he's there as this like belligerent asshole when Ichigo has clearly demonstrated his like abilities and it's like stop yeah that's what I hate yeah, I, I hate when characters put down another character I think, uh, the sole motivation is that they don't like them right I, it's it's something that that that's definitely something I brace for whenever I'm watching a shonen or also a oh, sports God, show yeah, as well. Yeah, it's, it's just really like, oh, there. there's the champion. They're going to look down oh, on you. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I'm always really surprised really when that doesn't happen. What? Of um, playing that up where mm-hmm. like, there's all these stereotypes and uh, assumptions made of other people, but they dig into it and they break down those preconceptions. Right. Uh, it's a show I'm watching right now to kind of counteract the uh, melancholy that uh, Nagino Asakura left me is Saki, which is all about Mahjong. <laughs> I don't know the first thing about Mahjong, but it's okay. Uh, and there's there's an even there's a nice mix of cockiness in the other teams, but the thing is that they're not belittling or uh, putting down our main character's team, but just yeah, confident. Okay. They're confident that they can win, and they are, I'm saying that, and I, I definitely appreciate that. I love it when sports anime do that. Um, one of my tropes that it really gets under my skin is also going back to the shonen genre is there's this big important fight okay it's really cool it's really well done there's all this fluid animation uh characters are trading blows back and forth there's no longer any power scaling but then something happens and they take a pause and they look each other in the eye and they both say or something along these lines the next blow will finish this <laughs> and then they just charge up something whether it's like a Kamehameha or they're just like preparing the katana and then they just fire and you can't tell what happened. You don't know what happened until eventually someone <laughs> falls over and that's the end of the fight. I just 
Where the, where the author's I hate like, it. oh, I'm I bored of like... drawing this fight scene now. Like, oh, let's just end it with this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's it. That's exactly what's that. What's going through my head? It's like you just you just random ideas how to continue animating this. Like that's not satisfying <laughs> at all. Why? Ah. And so I really really mm. hate it when people do it, and I can't think of a way that it's used well other than when a fight doesn't end. Like a final way. finishing blow. Um. Although, although ending. Hmm. Yeah, uh, um, I guess, I guess the one instance I can think of is uh, All Might versus oh, All for One fight. in My Hero Academia, yeah. where uh, yeah, he's when All Might's at the end of his rope, and like the show has really, really, truly conveyed just how much of a beating All Might has taken and how in danger he is, and but at the same time, it shows. It's shown throughout the show his uh, his resolve to get through the situations. And so the way that he musters the power for that final blow to combat all for one, it feels contextualized and it doesn't feel like, oh, you just um, couldn't figure out how to <laughs> animate this fight anymore. And also, it's just a really cool, well-done animation. Oh, I, okay, I, actually, I pinpointed I pinpointed why. In that final blow, you can tell that All Might's all overpowering all for one. It's not just like, oh, what mm. happened? It was a flash and it's and over. It, and now someone fell over. Like, you can see all my overpowering. He loses his quirk after that. So it really does feel like he truly staked mm. everything he could possibly stake on that blow. It's not just like, I'm going right. to finish with, with this with next blow. This is my super attack. And then they just walk at it fine. Like, yeah. oh, I'm all good. <laughs> like, it, it's, um, yeah, it really does feel like he lost a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really a good benchmark for like having those finishers um or even just fights in general where you can really get a sense for the character's exhaustion so that's one of the reasons why like i really like demon slayer yes you really so there's a difference between like that and something like bleach right where you'll have the characters get damaged but you don't ever really fear for them um, because it's like, of course, Ichigo's not gonna <laughs> fucking die, or like they're not gonna kill off like some of the side characters because the manga or the, the series just never took those risks. But with Demon Slayer, um, like characters that you genuinely like get offed, and it's like, oh my god, who is next? And you can very clearly see, um, like them getting damaged. Um, in very significant ways during the fight. That's also why, like, Full Metal Alchemist has some of the best fights. Because uh, people come out of that exhausted. Mm. And then <laughs> there's also, uh, in terms of showing damage and exhaustion, Bleach was guilty of this too, where you could stab someone in the gut, and I'm pretty sure each of you get stabbed in the gut <laughs> at least three times, and they'll still keep fighting on through sheer perseverance, and they'll win and yeah, they'll survive yeah, afterwards. Like, no! No, you get stabbed in the gut, you're just yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah. There's no way to use that one properly. All right, Harry, we're back to you. What's next on your list? So this is one I'm going to collaborate with you on, Matt, because uh, oh. I started playing Trails of Cold Steel. And oh, yes, yes. I've, I've, I know what you're going to talk yeah, so about. I've only played a tiny bit. I need to play more. Um, but you mentioned to me before I started, there's a really awful anime trope at the beginning. Oh, um, yes, there is. And yeah, it's, it's something that I've always kind of just glossed over because it is just something that you become desensitized to. But it's this kind of like trope where your textbook bland male protagonist <laughs> has some sort of bizarre boob-related mishap with a oh, female character. Man. 
often relating to them, like falling on him and, and somehow their boobs are in his face. It's like, oh my God, what a, what a disaster. Did and, you see the screenshot that Harry sent Kyle? Wait, I don't know if I did. Let me... It's, it's in the group chat, but you can look for that while Harry <laughs> continues though. Um, yeah, but like, uh, it's, it's a strange one. I, and I guess this also kind of brings me, I'll, I'll combine this with my other, another negative thing. This whole like one dimensional teenage male protagonist sort of trope of having a really, basically almost just taking the shonen oh, thing yep, literally that literally thinking we need to pander to the teenage boy demographic as blatantly as possible in the sense of like, right, we're going to have a, a kind of silent, frustrated, adolescent, teenage boy protagonist who somehow has uh, weird issues with girls and they fall on him and their boobs fall on his face. And it's just like, shut the fuck up and tell a good story. Uh, which is why I really enjoy when you get a show like uh, Demon Slayer, for example, where the lead protagonist, Tanjiro, is just a really genuinely nice person who is not a stereotype in any way. He's just a nice, friendly, likable character who you can immediately root for. Um, or let's say Goku in Dragon Ball, for example. There's another character who's not stereotypical as a shonen protagonist. Um, and I think that stands out really positively. But when you've got these kind of like bland male protagonists, I'm not commenting on uh, the protagonist of Trolls of Cold Steel because I've not played enough to really comment yet. But uh, I'm sure, given your love for those games, he's a very good protagonist. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I, I just think that whole like boob-related mishaps is just a very cringy yeah. sort of trope because it doesn't happen in real life. At least from my experience, <laughs> it's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so same question I pose every time. So how do you make this trope oh a good God. thing, Harry? Oh, it's <laughs> difficult to really say. It's uh, yeah. I I do have I I, I have listed a, a trope that I really like and. Um, uh, another trope that is bad but there's an instance of it being good but i don't have one for this one i'm afraid yeah. i don't know how to do this trope well you, I, I don't think no, what, what you do is uh i don't think i've seen it done but the right attitude i think to take with it would be to have the male character own up to it and be like this is great and <laughs> i mean that's that's, yeah, that, that's exactly what i was gonna say senpai. was yeah you just take because yeah. like bunny senpai bunny girl senpai is like built around a lot of those tropes uh and Sakura just plays completely mm-hmm. straight into them. Um, and it, it makes him very endearing. Yeah. I think he comments on... Uh, Sakura sounds like such a creep saying this, but I think there's a part where he comments on Mai's thighs. He's like, I want yeah, to be sandwiched like, in oh between them. God. Just yeah, straight up he, says he that. He has no just shame. Like, but he's he's very yeah. clearly... Like, like the show frames him as like somebody who just likes to like mess around with people um, and likes to joke around. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the context you need it in. You need to embrace it as a joke uh, where the character isn't beaten up for it. I think that's what I don't really like about that trope, which right. is like, this didn't, it's the same thing. It's the same kind of vein as like, that's true. The trope yeah. That I had an issue with, which is this dude has done nothing wrong. Fuck off. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. If, if like, if they immediately separate at that point, it's just like, I'm sorry, that was an accident. And the girl's like, no, no, I get it. It's fine. Move on. Then, okay, cool. But at the same time, well, what's the point of that yeah. scene at that point? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you even bother it, it, having it? Just it just feels like a way to kind of force a confrontation in a really unnatural yeah. way. Um, yeah. a, a trope that I do think is, this is moving on a little bit, but a trope that I think is bad, That's but there's fine. a good example of it, is a recap episodes. I don't like them, obviously. I don't think anyone likes them. But mm-hmm. uh, the first episode of My Hero Academia's new season was a recap episode. And I think it was genuinely really well done. 
as recap episodes go. I skipped it because it was a recap episode. It is worth watching. So from what I remember, I've only seen it once. So I need to watch it again. But um, this reporter visits the class, like the whole class, and he kind of talks to all the different students. And he's trying to report to find out, I think, uh, who All Might may have passed his quirk to. I can't fully remember. I think he's, he's like speculating on that. I need to watch it again, obviously. Maybe I should have done this research for a podcast today, but I didn't. <laughs> um, but no, so, so like he's a, he's a reporter and it's basically an episode of him meeting different students and talking to them. But this recap is told through the context of like, there's still new footage here. There's still new interactions and new character moments. Right. It's just that it's kind of to serve the purpose of recapping. I felt like season three's first episode was like much worse though, invert. There was a scene where, like, uh, I think one of the teachers said to a razorhead, just like, oh, by the way, could you tell me the quirks of your class again? And he said, okay. And he just lists <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. And it's just like, that is so fucking like, on the nose and, and frustrating. So that's, like, when it's done really badly. But in this case, it felt much more organic and much more um, genuinely entertaining. And you watch it and it's like, that was an actually quite entertaining episode with an entertaining storyline. And it also serves as a bit of a recap. So... Right, when it kind of has its own plot itself outside. Yeah, so you could still watch it and think, well, that was entertaining external to the recap stuff. Yeah, it's. I think uh, I've definitely heard of better examples of recasts. It's just like, I still, if I have the option of skipping them, I still always skip them. Because yeah. I'll always prefer just get to the next one. Yeah, point. it's totally fair. But uh, uh, no, this one's worth watching. It's, it's not bad. It's all right. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, I'm going to go next because it's bouncing off of the bunny girl senpai talk we had earlier. But uh, the little sister archetype character where it's just like Onichan is just glomps <laughs> all over him and they speak in third person and it's just pure Stop. fan service fetish. Stop. Yeah. And it's it, yes. Yeah. It's so prominent, uh, especially in earlier 2000 shows. And it gets to the point, like a lot of anime tropes where you just kind of become jaded to it. It's just like, okay, that's just, that's just anime. That's just how characters behave in anime. We move on. And Bunny Girl Senpai as a whole, that show is designed to trap those kinds of viewers where the kind of viewers have become jaded by all those tropes because you accept them as they are. And then it's blindsides you when it's like, wait, but wait, there's actually a reason why it's like this. And so Kaede and Bunny Girl Senpai, the reason that she acts like that archetype trope, and I'm not going to go into it for spoilers, is Mm. so believable and engaging and just heart-wrenching too, in a way. And so when it got to that part, when that was that was the season finale, oh, that was. I was yeah, just yeah. completely and utterly awestruck by it. Mm. So that that is like the premium prime example of how to do that trope. I guess it's not even doing that trope properly because it's just the trope as it is, but giving a reason mm-hmm. to it, uh, contextualize it, as you would say. Yeah, like it gives it a reason beyond just being fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess like the, the the way you like play against that, and I feel like you don't really just see little sisters. That I don't know. I feel like so it's it, it's really refreshing going through Persona Four, um, and just having Nanako just as your little sister there, and it's like and that, that's it. Treasure. She's just very cute, and like yeah. she has her own character, she has her own arc, uh, but she's just like your little sister figure, and that's it. And she's treated at face value mm-hmm. as that. There's no, I guess, like, d- does this trope show up in any shows that aren't trash? <laughs> like, where it's very, very clearly, like, pandering towards the, the Emoto archetype. Um, yeah, I don't think there is. 
<laughs> I'm trying to, I'm having a hard time thinking of any emotes right now besides Kirino. Uh, that is true. That is also very true. It's just blocking everything but else yeah, I, out of I, my I mind. Get, it definitely shows up. Um, so, uh, yeah. on that. Yeah. All right, Kyle, we'll wrap up with you. Oh, I have one, I have one more to say. Oh, go, to go ahead. Okay. Mm-hmm. One, okay. Oh, shall I go first? Yeah, okay. Yeah, go, this go this ahead, is yeah. a trope that I sincerely fucking love. And I will defend it, and it is tournament arcs. Oh, tournament arcs! I fucking arcs are fun. find, I find yeah. them so entertaining yeah. and so fun. Those are usually the best parts of shows. Yeah. yeah, and and I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, does this show have a tournament arc or not?" I'm not going to watch it if it's got a tournament arc. And I just think there are some tournament arcs I've seen who are just they're just so fucking good. They're so entertaining. They're like such mm-hmm. great ways you can build characters and and also like deliver so many entertaining encounters. They're awesome. I just wanted to say a good trope that I really like and I really, really enjoy. Yeah, I know <laughs> I know. Giguk made a whole video about why tournament arcs are so good and I haven't watched it yet, but I hear he puts forth a really good argument for them. But yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree, Harry. I think it's just because right, like, I've seen bad examples of tournament arcs. Um, or a lot of shows have had bad tournament arcs, so I, I get it, um, and especially because shonens are so prominent. But another trope, I guess I'd say that like, I really don't like is I mean it's a very basic one and one that like of course pe- like people everywhere have issue with but you know just just to cap it off I hate when the main character just gets things without doing anything for them because they're the I fucking hate mm-hmm. chosen one tropes and mm-hmm. that is not even exclusive to anime um it just mm-hmm. like give me so why Tanjiro is we'll just keep going back because like Demon Series is just a good series but Tanjiro works for Tanjiro I'd say is probably like a good example of this where he inherits powers but it's a lot of it is like he doesn't know how to use it properly so it's there but he just needs to know like understand like both his own limitations and like the proper way to use it versus somebody and I feel like this is you know really low-hanging fruit but kirito uh from sword art <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. w- why does he just have all of these advantages because the show wants him to fuck you and it's like why 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 is that a thing i i i don't like it, it's wish fulfillment which is you know oh yeah i when you're a 10 year old you, you in the shower you, you want to believe that you can make a fucking key blast with your hands Just, and yeah, that, awaken to inner power yeah and that's exactly like what that is the equivalent of that is you say when you're a 10 year old i still feel that way now it's like you, you feel it sometimes right and it's fun um like we'll go back to bleach because today i guess is just the day that we shit on bleach but Ichigo, <laughs> like when he first manifests his powers, it's like, oh, he has so much spirit energy. It's like, okay, that's that's fun. Um, and it's like it's not right. like that, that's bad or anything, but it's like, give the character the, the, some <laughs> effort or have him put in some effort. It just it feels good when you can see them growing throughout the show and they grow in a way that oh, feels so here, here's one believable. here's one that uh, I I would say is like Ichigo but done better um, and I actually legitimately liked it um, I didn't read a huge amount of Black Clover but I read enough to where I got a feel for the characters I like that Asta has that giant anti magic sword but he still needs to figure out how to use it 
it's not just I'm gonna whack yeah. people and they're gonna be die. Like, yeah, yeah. There, there are times when it's like not perfect some of the power scaling, but uh, generally speaking, uh, yeah, there's still a sense of like kind of uh, logical yeah, growth yeah, 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 there. Yeah. Where it doesn't feel like he's, he just kind of pulls out powers out his ass or whatever. It's like you know if he discovers a new element to his power, it's like right, I need to train this and I need to learn it. I need to actually take time getting better at it before I go into combat again. Mm. And then when he goes into combat again, he's better. It's like, oh, I get why he's better with it because he's been training to be better with it. So it feels like he's actually worked for it as opposed to, if I believe in my friends enough, I guess I'll be able to do this. So, yeah. yeah. Power of friendship. (laughs) The the flip side to that is uh, Saki, the Mahjong show I'm watching right now. It's It it does that, but I'm so into it still. It's just... All, all of the players like it's, it's not they're not playing good mahjong just all the players have hokey bullshit nonsense powers that let them manipulate Wait, tiles essentially not actually powers but it's just like oh this girl she just gets all the dora tiles they just all flock to her naturally Excuse or this me? girl oh, like my god yeah or this girl like the main character her whole like quote-unquote power is just like she's able to i don't know if you know anything about mahjong but basically uh when she draws a tile it's almost always the winning tile and so that's her oh, quote-unquote power she's got the and, power. so there's no actually like well done mahjong in this whole show but i'm so into this hokey bullshit power nonsense <laughs> and they don't need to explain it to me they haven't shown them training think, at all it's just I think because ultimately entertainment is just the most yeah. important thing but yeah. like it doesn't matter how ridiculous your show is if it's at least entertaining and fun right then like that's that's well, really that's the only rule of story writing. The one rule of story writing is it fun. But with with this that's, kind of with this kind it, of trope, uh, the way to make it entertaining is to I like I guess in Saki's case, like embrace the ridiculousness of it. Um, yeah. where that's like one of the big peels of JoJo, right? Yeah. It's like I, I will I will sh- mm-hmm. I will send you guys a scene oh my God. Later, after the okay. podcast that will show you what I mean. It's just so extra and over the top, and that's what makes it. Yeah. Yeah, similar to JoJo. I don't know how much they explain the powers in JoJo, but I'm sure it's I, I, I honestly, Matt, I can't recommend the new series of JoJo. Enough. If you want like a really interesting, weird series, I would really recommend it. Um, like, I, I think, yeah, part five in particular is just, mm-hmm. it really raised the bar for me. Do they explain so, yeah. the powers in it? Are they contextualized? Or it's just like, stands exist now? <laughs> um, they're explained in the degree of like, these people have these powers, mm-hmm. but that's as far as it goes. Yeah. But there is that's like as far as they need to go. There's, there's a reason as to why the stands exist. There is like an origin of the stands that is explained quite a bit. So like they do go into some of the lore, but um, ultimately it's just like, it's just seeing these crazy characters with weird power mashups fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, the best episode was um, you've got Bucciarati, who's a guy who can open things with zips on a train fighting against someone with a stand called the Grateful Dead who can age people <laughs> to be elderly around him. And you've also got someone with a stand called Beach Boy who can hook out your organs with a fishing rod. And they're fighting against Bucciarati. And to prevent the aging, he has to rub ice on his face. Because I think it relates That's to like the heat in your skin. Yeah, so he's, he's like rubbing ice on his face as he's opening zips on this train as someone's trying to catch him with a fishing rod and someone else is trying to age him into an old man. It's bonkers, but it's so fucking entertaining. <laughs> and that's why it really works. Exactly. It's, so, yeah. <laughs> you got, yeah, so there's two there's two sides to that trope, for sure. But, uh, yeah, all the examples that Kyle listed, of like Bleach and Kirito, it's like, uh, no, you got to go a little bit further. But mm. this podcast ain't going any further. We've come to the end of our journey here. 
It's been a wonderful journey as always. And so if you want to continue your journey in following us, where can we find you at Kyle Rogue has shown? At Light the Rogue on Twitter. You can see me retweeting a bunch of Persona memes because I am fully on board with that series right now. And you can also <laughs> see him making some dank memes for the Xbox Game Pass yeah, you, Twitter you account can. sometimes. Sometimes. Who knows? Yes. That that uh that uh Kabuki Cho one was pretty great, gotta say. <laughs> I was very happy with that one. <laughs> Alrighty, Harry, what about you? I'm oh, wait, wait, Mon- into- manga, oh. manga recommendation, Kyle. Oh, God, I haven't really been reading anything recently. You know what? I haven't recommended it before, but reminder that Yosuba is a very, very, very adorable series um, from Kyohiko Azuma, the creator of Azumanga Daio. It is yeah, I know it's extremely been, wholesome. It's been consistently in the top 10 most wanted anime adaptations for Japan for the God, if Yosuba got an anime adaptation, that would just be very cozy. Um, it just, <laughs> I mean, just imagine Nichijou, but not wacky. I can't imagine that, actually. Well, okay, just imagine all the Hakase segments. That's, that would, okay. is what all Yosuba right. would be. All right. Anyways. Okay, now, Harry, what about you? For me, I am Harry underscore Morris underscore on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to give an anime recommendation this week. Um, I've been re-watching Akamega Kill, which I've not seen for quite a few years. Okay. And, I only uh, read the manga for that. I'm remembering just how fucking good and entertaining it is. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that series, uh, to Kyle's point earlier, like uh, Demon Slayer, a lot of main characters get killed off in it, so you're never quite yeah, sure who's going to live. I really, really enjoy that it. it is a little bit experimental with its storytelling, mm-hmm. but I think it pays off a lot of the time, and I think it works. Um and yeah, it's really interesting. I kind yeah. of wish there was uh, more because I, I know there's like a prequel series, I think, called Akamega Kill Zero. And then mm. I think there's a sequel as well um, oh, weird. called Hinawaga Crush or something. I might be wrong there. It's something like that, though. Uh, but I just, I kind of wish there was more, like, more anime series. Because uh, mm, I, 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 you finish it and it's good. It's got a cool ending, but you just think, okay, what happens next? I want to see, like, like there's... You could tell right, so because the anime has the a different ending than the manga. Mm. Oh, does it? Yeah, because the, the oh, manga was still shit. airing when the anime finished. Like the manga still oh, wasn't done. I didn't even realize. Okay, well, in that case, I obviously need to read the manga to get the proper <laughs> ending because I didn't realize. Yeah, um, but no, I, I enjoy it. It's good fun. I like it. Yeah, so that's All what right, I cool. recommend. One of the few shows where I really cared about the antagonist too. All right, mm, uh, yeah, for yeah. me, I'm at Musing Mojak M U S I N G M O J A C K on Twitter. As always, you can find me on Goomba Stomp as well as the anime editor. Goombastomp.com is where you can find our lovely podcast if you're not listening to it on there already. You can also find anime, games, wrestling, movie reviews, features, retrospectives, all sorts of your pop culture goodness that you can consume in your quarantine times. Uh, I just posted a little feature on Kakushi Goto, which is a show that just finished up airing the season, and that's what I'm going to recommend as well. I've talked enough about Nagano Asakura. But Kakushi Goto is a wonderfully melancholy series by the same author as Sayonara Zetsubo-sensei. It's about a manga artist who is a single father who draws really raunchy manga and doesn't want his daughter to find out. So he tries to keep it a secret and puts on this facade. He has this facade that he's just a standard salary man. It's just these over-the-top antics. But every episode, the last few minutes has a few shots of what it's like in the future after his daughter has grown up and it's not so happy anymore. And so that contrast is what's really um, creates this dichotomy in the show that is just absolutely beautiful and engrossing. So that's why I recommend it. Just finished airing 12 episodes. Check it out. 
Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. That sounds really cool. It's cool. All right, cool. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Ciao.